Do you have any obsessions? Something that you're always thinking about, you know everything there is to know. We all need to make personal finance our new obsession. Because let's face it, there are so many financial decisions that we're going to have to make in our lifetime that we just can't ignore. And that's why we have to make time to learn so that we don't make the wrong decisions. It might be true what they say, money doesn't make you happy, but lack of money sure does make you stressed. And that's why we do this podcast. It's Seven Figures. I'm Sandy Waters. We bring in the experts every week and we soak up their knowledge. Big thanks to our good friends at Family First Credit Union for supporting the podcast. Good people over there. A helpful, educated team in our community that enjoys helping you live a financially healthy life. Today, we cash in with Matt Honeyford. His financial story may resonate with some of you and hopefully will inspire you to become obsessed with personal finance. Matt, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. This is a fairly new obsession for you, but it's a good one. Your wife might not like that. No, my wife and I think my friends and family members probably don't, but uh, I find it very interesting. We really do need to take ownership of our finances. Yeah, I think we do. I, I think that the system a little bit is is uh, set up to work against us, right? So as consumers, we buy products, we go into debt, you know, we take out loans for shopping or homes yeah. or mortgages or cars. And you really have to become aware of, you know, some of these things and you have to build a strategy around it. Otherwise you could end up upside down real quickly. You were at a point financially, a point where you realized, I don't want to be here. It was a very okay. humbling experience for myself as as a husband at that time. There's a lot of people listening that are at the point that you were and they feel like there is no way to get out of it. Well, you know, I started coming out and, you know, I just, uh, I went right into the workforce, right? And I had a pretty decent job, uh, but I was working inevitably for for a job and for a position that I just wasn't happy with, you know? Now, how old were you? I was um, at the time maybe 20, 26. Okay, so you're young. Yep. How were your finances at that point? Were you dealing with college debt? Nope, nope. I didn't go to school. I okay. went. I went right into the uh, right the into workforce. the workforce. Okay. Which, you know, now looking back at it, you know, initially I was a little embarrassed about that fact, but uh, that has really been you know a, a benefit for me now, not having to pay a college loans, which which is a different topic altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we were we were doing okay. You know, we were we were we weren't making minimum wage, right? We weren't driving new cars. You know, we lived in a modest apartment. You know, my wife and I, we both had a car, and you know, we we had a little bit of money in savings, not a whole lot. And looking back at it, we really were living paycheck to paycheck. Was that your rock bottom? No, rock bottom really came when uh, you know I didn't like the fact that you know I was I was working in a job that I didn't really see going anywhere. And I wanted to take a risk. I come from uh, a family that has always had small businesses. You know, my grandfather started one in oh. uh, 1940. You know, my my mother and my father took it over. My father has a small business right now, even though technically he's supposed to be retired. Um, you know, he just can't stop working because small business and, you know, entrepreneurship is, is in my blood. So, I decided to, uh, and my wife, who I love dearly, you know, I swear she'd follow me around the world if I said, let's go. Um, you know, we, we moved out of the country. We went to, uh, went to Central America and we decided to start an online business with every penny that we had. And this was your great idea. This was my great idea. Honey, I got a great idea for you. 
we're going to go into business for ourselves okay. doing this online internet thing, which at the time I had really no idea what I was talking about, right? okay. to be brutally honest with you. A year goes by and we had actually, you know, we lost just about everything, right? I mean, so it, it, it was embarrassing for me as, as a husband um, and, you know, just as a, uh, as, as a person in general, right? You take a gamble on something, it doesn't work out. And, you know, here you are and you kind of get to that point where you go, now what, what are we going to do? So I came back to the United States and I took literally any job I could find. You know, I was a waiter, which I am an awful waiter. I have a very bad memory. Uh, I was, you know, working, you know, two full-time jobs, just, you know, trying to get our feet back under us. You know, my wife was also doing the same. You know, at one time, I, we actually counted that she had four jobs that she was doing at once. And we were just working and working and working, trying to establish something for ourselves. And, you know, eventually we got to the point where we found our footing. I found a job in, in media and I had been, uh, you know, it, uh, fortunate enough without a whole lot of sales experience to, to land this this position, which was actually ironically about the same amount of income as I was making before I took oh, this really? little hiatus out of the country. Now, why don't you just work for dad? He has a company. Because my father, who has taught me a lot of many lessons, um, made it very clear early on that it's very important for you to be your own man, to stand on your own two feet. Oh, and looking wow, what back a valuable it, lesson this has been. Uh-huh. Seriously. If you, if you stop and you think about it, uh, without that lesson, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. It was hard to, to hear that those words early on yeah. when, you're, when, when you're younger. But, uh, you know, I, I thank him for that even to this day. What would we do in that scenario if we watched our kid fail that hard? Sure. I think I would swoop in and save him. But, I think that's a natural reaction, yeah. especially being a father. You know, two girls are not to that point yet. But, yeah, I think I would, that my knee-jerk reaction would be. But insane. you appreciate Dad for not saving you? Yeah, I do. Because now I know what it's like to work multiple jobs at once yeah. to, you know, move into an apartment with uh, not a whole lot of furniture to, you know, what it's like to buy your first bed and actually appreciate it. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, the day when you get one of those comfort foam ones yeah. for the very first time and you lie on <laughs> your it. Your big you boy think, bed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you think to yourself, oh my God, this is so fantastic right now. But you know, if somebody would have given that bed to you, it would have been expected. You earned that bed, you earned that sleep, and you can sleep better knowing that you paid for this yourself. So this whole life lesson was a turning point then. Yeah, big one. At that point, you said, I got to I gotta understand finances. Yeah. At that point, I said, you know, I really got to get my act together because um, it's just my wife and I that are going to do this. Nobody else is going to help us. And at that point, we weren't going to allow anybody else to help us because we had done this to ourselves, you know, to be brutally honest. And I had no idea what I was doing, but I just knew one thing and one thing only. And that is that I've got to hold on to as much money as possible. And that's all that I knew. So I start, you know, holding on to money and saving and saving and saving. And, um, you know, once you get a certain amount of money in the bank, not a whole lot, you, you start wondering, well, you know, it's just sitting there. Shouldn't I be doing something mm-hmm. with this money? So, you know, I go out and I, I met with a financial advisor and 
and I put my money with him. He's the first person that I that that I interviewed, and and um, then I remember thinking to myself, I'm not really getting a roadmap here. All I'm doing is I'm writing a check for an investment that one day I, I should be able to get a return on. You hope. I hope, but nobody's telling me what what to do. There's no plan. There's no do this here, do that there. So I went. Or this is why we're doing it here. This is where you should be because of, okay, no explanation. No explanation. Mm -hmm. Buy this thing, whatever this thing is, and the rest will kind of take care of itself. Well, that's not the way things work. I mean, I, I think we're all smart enough to, to, to know that. Um, So I went and I met with another financial advisor, right? And that, and that name, that, that job title is is a little, I don't want to say, um, it's not misleading because I don't think that they're there to mislead you. But, you know, when, when I hear financial advisor, I think of somebody that's going to put together a budget for me, show me how to be financially successful and get yeah. to the next level, whatever that may be. So yeah. I go and I meet with somebody else and it just turned into a sales pitch. They want to sell me life insurance without really telling me, well, how am I going to pay for this life insurance? I'm here to help you. I'm here for you to help me uh, work out a budget. And I, I remember that meeting vividly. And I remember asking, well, is there anything you can do to help me put together a budget? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a lot of tools online. I don't need a tool online. I'm looking for somebody to right. hold my hand a little bit and guide me here. You yeah. know, I want to take responsibility for this. I'll do the work. Just, you know, help me understand how this right. is done. Advise me. Advise me. You know, if, if that position, if that job title doesn't exist, you and I, we need to go out and we need to start this company because, you know, I think that there is a need for people to understand how to do this, right? Really, yeah. there there is. And I, I left the meeting and the first place I stopped was a bookstore. And I just picked up a book on personal finance and it kind of started leading me down the road. All of a sudden, a little bit of the fog lifted and I came up with a plan. It's, it's called the 50-30-20 plan. And, and what it means is that a 50%, if, so you, you have a paycheck. Let's just say for the sake of round numbers, your paycheck is $100. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. $50 of that $100 goes to fixed expenses, your mortgage, your gas, your uh, RG&E rather your um, your cell phone, et cetera. Then $30 of it goes to what's called flexible expenses, which would be things like gasoline for your car, food, uh, restaurants, clothing, things that are really impossible to budget for, but you know that the expense is going to be there. And then 20% should go to what they call financial goals. Now, a financial goal can be many things. Um, at this time in our lives, uh, we were focused on paying, you know, debt, you know, cleaning up, improving our credit so that we would one day be able to buy a home. Um, and then $20 goes to uh, financial goals. That was the first lesson in personal finance that, I, that I've ever had, and I still use it to this day. That was the information that you were craving from yeah. a financial advisor. Yes. There are some very good and helpful financial advisors. Yes. But... Among the big crowd of them, there's only a few that are really in it to help their customers. Yeah. And that is so disheartening. The tools are out there. You found a book. Mm-hmm. If you go online, I mean, there's so many tools out, so many podcasts. That's why we do this podcast, exactly. really, is so we can gain these little nuggets of knowledge 
uh, financial knowledge and kind of get our bearings straight when it comes to our finances. Yeah, it's important that things like this ex- exist. And I give you a lot of credit for for doing this because, you know, a- as I mentioned early on, I really feel that the system is set to work against us, right? Every, you know, businesses are here to make money, right? And as they, as they should be. A lot of time, though, uh, they're making money off of, you know, consumers and they're not necessarily selling you things or they're overselling you things that, that you need. And I, I think the financial category is like that. You know, if you want to look at how somebody's going to act, I think you have to understand how they're compensated. And a financial advisor, mm-hmm. I believe, is con- is compensated through products that they sell you. And I don't know where the life insurance product falls in terms of whether it's the best compensation or the worst, but it just... You know, and I've met with a couple more and Mm -hmm. it just seems like that's the product that they're pushing. Just make sure that, you know, when you develop a relationship with one and again, there's some really good ones out there. Make sure you're asking these questions. This is your money. You worked hard for it. You have every right to know where it's going. Okay, so I like that 50, 30, 20. I think everybody's writing that one down right now. So 50 percent of your paycheck or of your monthly, if you add it all up, Mm -hmm. goes to fixed expenses. Okay. Expenses you know are going to be there. 30% goes to um, flexible spending, eating out, groceries for the refrigerator, gasoline, clothes, things that you, you know that you're going to spend money on, but you don't exactly know how much, right? And then 20% goes to financial goals. Uh, financial goals is probably the most important bucket because that's what really helps you get from the level that you're at to the yeah. level where, where you want to be. I was nagging my husband forever. We have to break down where the money is going. You think you know where it's going. But I'm like, we really got to look at exactly line by line. Every coffee that we buy to every time we fill up our gas tank. And, you know, he's like, we're fine. Why? You're being a nag. You're too obsessed about finances like you and I were joking. Um, But once we did it, it's eye opening. Yeah. And that actually, it's a very good segue. That was lesson number two for me. And that is that. Okay, so I've got this budget. I've got this template that I'm using. Yeah. Well, now you really need to start keeping a journal. You have yeah. to figure out trends and habits. As and painful it, as it is to keep those darn journals. Oh, goodness. So, you know, I do it once a month. And, you know, it takes me an hour or two to actually go through and figure out where our spending went and how much money we have coming in and, you know, how am I doing in, in my buckets. But it's been eye-opening. And we've cut out things like, for example, cable television altogether. Just because, you know, you're paying 250 bucks or whatever it is a month for cable, mm-hmm. it's really not providing anything for you when you could be taking $250 and putting it in the financial uh, bucket. Instead. And those little amounts do add up. Yes, they do. Rather fast. And I think that's a big misconception is that people feel like they're, like they're stuck, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's really, you know, there's, there's no way they could possibly climb out of whatever situation they, they might be in. And, you know, I think, and I'll probably get this wrong, that something like 70% of the people in America are living paycheck to paycheck. Well, if you if you were to create this journal and you were to look at areas that you could cut out mm-hmm. and slowly move into the financial bucket um, and start building a little bit of a savings that turns into an investment strategy that turns into yeah. wiping out debt, uh, you'll find that you really climb out a whole lot faster than you think. $250 a month doesn't sound like a lot. But how does $2,500 sound over the yeah. course of a year? A year goes by fast. My, yeah. my, my Maya, my, my daughter, is already two and a half. I mean, so that's, you know, what? That's $6,000 I would have. You can do a lot with that. You could pay off a car. You could pay cash. Yeah. You could. And you got to 
think of it, and I don't mean to sound preachy, but really, hopefully you're inspired by this because, Matt, you lived the story. You lived rock bottom to now on your path to financial success. Look at it piece by piece, step by step, instead of the big picture, because sometimes the big picture feels overwhelming. There's too much. But if you go piece by piece, sure, you know, I tell my kids... I'm a clean freak, by the way. I'm a little OCD. So when the room gets to be a disaster and I can't handle it anymore, clean your room. They get overwhelmed and they pitch a fit. But they're like, let's just start with this corner of the room. (laughs) And before you know it, the entire room is spotless. That's how you have to clean up your finances. Oh, exactly. One step at a time. And it's a mindset. It really is. It really is. You know, you want to buy a house, right? Just just for example, Uh, you know, it's a mindset. And it's you, you have to do it a little bit at a time. So, you know, the first thing that we did is, you know, we, we improved our credit so that we could buy a home. Uh, we, we put together that 50, 30, 20 budget. And then we saved and we saved and we saved. And eventually, um, you know what? The credit was to the point where people would consider us. And we had enough for a down payment. And we start looking around, you know, three years later and we go, holy cow, we did it. Like, Unbelievable. Oh. Here we are. And I'll re- How about that feeling? Yeah, I remember the day when we heard back from, from the mortgage broker. Yeah, you guys are no problem. Like, I, I'm sorry, us? Did you cry? Did you come on? Did you cry, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not going to say that on air. Uh, but what, what I am going to say is that I remember the feeling that I had as a husband uh-huh. at that time. And, you know, looking at my wife and just feeling so... So blessed to have her by my side because mm-hmm. she stuck with me through all this. I moved us out of the country to start an online business for crying out loud. And here three years later, however long, now we're back on track. Now we can start life and enjoying life. She was working four jobs and now now we're, we're finally to that point where, you know, we can start slowing down and really enjoying things. You know, it was a, it was a very exciting moment for us and we made what, um, I feel was a very smart decision, and I think she would probably agree, and that is that instead of going out and buying um, a liability, and this is probably going to, we, we can debate this, or you know, I know not, not a lot of people will agree with this, but a home is a liability, regardless of how much equity you actually have in it. That's just my, my belief. You're never going to stop paying tax. You're never going to stop having to fix things in that. Yeah. So instead of buying a liability, we went out and we, we purchased an asset, and we, and we bought a duplex instead. Because the idea is, is that uh, why pay for um, all of our mortgage when somebody else can help us there? And eventually we'll be able to move out and we'll be a self-sustaining, uh, self-sustaining investment for us. Now, real estate is another obsession of yours, isn't it? Yeah, yeah a little bit. <laughs> you got a lot of obsessions. There, I buddy. do. I do. <laughs> Family first, though. Okay. Family first. Yep. If your wife is listening to the podcast, he's obsessed with you first. Yep. We get it. Um <laughs> So see, now I would never think that. I'm a very traditional buy a house, own a house, which millennials now aren't doing that. Right. And we discussed that before on the podcast. That's a whole other different mindset, a generation that feels like they don't want to be committed and locked into something. So they're renting. Sure. And for exactly the reason that you just said. So millennials... The age that somebody is first buying a home, I think, went up by a couple of years. But if you think about that, you're, you have more demand for apartments now, which means that when there's more demand, you can charge more for it. 
uh, and it's a better investment, right? So if, if people aren't buying houses, they have to live somewhere. And if you have an apartment or a duplex, you can charge a little bit more for it, you know, and they can help you pay down your mortgage, you know, so the point where you're really not, you're, uh, you're not overextending yourself because everybody wants that really nice home. Everybody wants to, mm-hmm. you know, go the traditional route. I'm advising and, you know, I, I have this conversation with somebody that I work with who's getting ready to buy their first house and they're a millennial. And, you know, I've been saying to them, listen, you really need to take a strong look at a duplex. And here's the reason why. And, you know, we, we get into the fact that, you know, at the end of the month, you're paying almost half as much as you would be paying for, for a house. Yeah, but now you're a landlord. I don't know if I want that headache. It's not a headache. It's really not. I think Are you a handy guy? I am not. Not at all. Not, not even one bit. As a matter of fact, I almost electrocuted myself the other day mounting a TV. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah, my wife was not. She's not happy, and of course, oh we had friends God. there, too. Yeah, it was not a good situation. I was inches, maybe millimeters away from cutting um, a cord that ran the refrigerator with a saw. Like, I don't even know what I was doing with a saw. I'm mounting a TV, right? Anyway, so no, I am not handy at all. Okay, and it's not a headache to be a landlord. You're not getting calls at one in the morning. Oh, my plumbing is... No, I I, I haven't gotten one call in the middle of the night. Do I get calls? Yes. Do things break? Yes, they absolutely do. Well, maybe it's the tenants. I think the key to it is is, uh, taking your time through the tenant selecting process. Okay. So, you know, you want to set your criteria, meaning, uh, you know, they have to make a certain amount of money in order to live here. That's just math, right? That's just housing expense. You know, you want them to pass credit checks. You want them to pass, uh, you know, it, eviction checks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, okay. All, all types and these of are these. your close, close neighbors now, too, if it's a duplex. Yeah, yeah, it it, it is. And, you know, you, you, you just want to make sure that uh, that you're selecting somebody that you feel is going to follow through on their business obligation. Because that really is what it is. You're signing a contract stating that they're going to live in this residence for this long and they're going to pay at this time. And, you know, you've, I think a lot of it is properly setting expectations and following through on them. What if you don't have a tenant? What if you don't? You have to buy the right place. You got to make sure that you're buying in a place where there's a high demand. You know, I mean, so we didn't just jump into it to a duplex. Uh, You know, we, we looked for a while for for the right one and the right ones always go really, really quickly. So we were fortunate enough to get into the right one and it's never been vacant ever. And okay. we just, How long have you been doing this? Uh, let's see, three years. So, and we just rented out our side, and we moved into a, into another home now. So now we have both sides rented. Oh, out. are you gonna keep building on it? Yeah, I think if you were to ask me today, yes. Um, you know, but l- like you and everybody else listening to this, I'm learning as I'm going. Okay. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not concrete. I'm not set in my ways. Okay. One step at a time here. One step right? at now a time. Now you just have the, okay. Yeah. I've got the one, you know, I'm not making a ton of money off of it, if, if any, some months, but you know, over the course of, you know, 30 years or so, it's going to be a pretty nice investment and it's going to be uh, the education, the college education for, for my daughters. All right. Take us through another, another step. Okay. Things are going well, we're, but we're not living above our means. So although, you know, my wife got, got into, a, into a better job and, 
you know, although I, um, you know, you, you get salary increases and, you know, as you grow in your career, more money comes. It's, it's important to avoid what I call, or maybe it's just a general term or phrase, a uh, lifestyle creep. So you, it, you know, you've been there for a year, your boss comes to you and says, I'm going to give you an extra so-and-so many dollars. Yeah. All right. Well, I think first habits to go out and say, you know what? I deserve this, which is by the way, the most dangerous phrase anybody can say. Yeah. I deserve that expensive car. I deserve to go shopping. I deserve yeah. that. We've all been there. We've right? all said it. Mm-hmm. I've said it too. Mm-hmm. I've, I'm stuck in a lease right now that I just can't get out of because you know what? I deserve to drive that car. I've, yeah, I've, I've worked hard. You make ex- we can make excuses. Oh man, yeah. can we make excuses yeah. if it means to buy something? Yeah. Right. And I did. And, you know, I'm like, a, I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm, I'm a human being. So I made a mistake. I'm still paying for it. But, you know, if for, for the most part, except for that one instance, we avoided lifestyle creep. So we were still living at the same level that we were living at when we just came out of those challenges, when we just came yeah. out of that big mistake that got us obsessed with finance. And we never really started spending a whole ton of money, which meant but that, that's hard, though. That takes yeah. discipline because once you start, I remember the day it was it was freaking Christmas morning. My father calls. Now, my father's very influential when it comes to the finance. I learned everything from dad yeah. and I owe a lot to dad. Um, but he's still to this day. I'm I'm 41 and he's still to this day kind of overseas. I guess I could call him my financial advisor. Mm-hmm. Um, Christmas morning, he calls me. We had just paid another big bill off. And he was like, I'm looking at your account and there's not enough in there. You're not putting as much as you should be. I thought you would have more. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm fine. At that point, I had just redone my kitchen, by the way, remodeled Uh my kitchen. Sure, sure. And he's like, did you, um, you got to make the money work for you. Was it time to remodel your kitchen or did you deserve to remodel your kitchen? Yeah. And you. And I was like, oh, well, I really love my kitchen. (laughs) It's so easy to fall into that. You see that extra money coming in. It's hard to put that money into savings or doing investing it instead of spending it. Right. It's almost very hard, but it's got to be done. It's a mindset. Remember, what, what we're trying to do is we're trying to get to a point where you're not living paycheck to paycheck, where if something bad were to happen, mm-hmm. which it can and oftentimes it does, that's just a fact of life, Right. That you're not all of a sudden in a panic. If you lose your job today, how would you be financially? Yeah. You should set yourself up. You don't go into a panic. Yeah. If I were to lose my job today, and I hope my employer is not listening to this, (laughs) uh, I would be okay. We could probably survive six months to a year uh, without having to go off and get any other type of, of income. And it's not because we're sitting on a pile of money. It's because we have kept are spending to a minimum where that money that you have saved up all of a sudden goes a whole heck of a lot further, right? That's the reason why. And throughout this whole journey, and it truly is a journey, I've, I've continued to read and I've continued to educate myself. And I've, I consider myself, I guess, maybe a hybrid between Robert Kiyosaki, who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, which is a book. If anyone's listening, they should probably go by and read. And Dave Ramsey, who I think most people know, and, you know, listening to those guys, the one thing that they say is that you should have six months of um, expenses in your bank account. Yeah. And that's where that came from. I mean, this is nothing that, 
that's that's new, right? I didn't create this on my own. Everybody says the same thing. Everybody's saying mm-hmm. something very similar, and if not the same thing, and you just have to have the mindset to do it. You're you're going to do it. You're not going to go drive that new car. You're going to drive a car that you paid cash for. That yeah. hey, you know what? It gets you from A to B. You know, and maybe it has a CD player. A what? A no. CD player. <laughs> it's those discs where. <laughs> You can scratch the no, back. No, mine still it. does. So I, I jokingly say that. <laughs> mine too. Yeah, you can do it. Stop playing the victim. Yeah. You can. Everybody can. Baby steps. Yeah. You were at rock bottom. What is the ultimate goal? Because that's what we all need. We all need to create our own personal ultimate goal. I think the ultimate goal would be continuing to develop streams of income and getting to a point where. I don't know who who said it, but you know, wealth, true wealth or being rich is the ability to passively match your expenses with investments from from other things, right? So if if your expenses are $2,000 a month, if you have other investments that also produce $2,000 a month each month without you having to do anything, then you are then and only then are you truly wealthy. Make the money work for you. You told your story a lot of people are living it too. You came out on top on the path to financial success, financial independence, where you work because you want to and not because you have to. The return on investment, everybody dedicated their time to this podcast and we greatly appreciate it. So the ROI, what is that financial nugget we can walk away with? I think the financial nugget is going to be what we talked about in the beginning of the show. First is you know, 50, 30, 20. Have a budget, create a journal, try to stick to it. But I guess, you know, the the other piece of that would be if you already are doing that is there are really only two enemies with personal finance and that is interest and debt. And you have to stay away from debt at all costs. You know, I think a mortgage or things like that are are, are okay. But, you know, I encourage people if they're going to go buy a car, try to pay cash for it. And people are saying to me, how how am I going to come up with that amount of money? Well, savings, you know, you save for it slowly over time. So that you're staying out of out of debt, you're avoiding interest, which can really be crippling. Matt Honeyford, thank you so much for you're your welcome. time. Appreciate you having me on. How much do you know about reverse mortgages? See, here's another reason why we need to make personal finance a new hobby. We don't want ignorance to leave us vulnerable, especially as we get older. So next week, we're going to compare the pros and cons of reverse mortgages. Who does it benefit? Should we be encouraging our elderly family members to take advantage of it? We'll lay out all the facts next week on Seven Figures. Thank you so much for subscribing on iTunes and Google Play and checking it out on rochesterbuzz.com. Seven Figures is presented by Family First Credit Union. Talk to you next week.